Hello, everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman. And through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. Are you having trouble losing weight? Do you get extreme food cravings, especially at night? What about the inability to lose weight even when you cut calories and do a lot of exercise? I know I fell into this category for pretty much most of my life. It's actually probably not even your fault. You most likely have what's called leptin resistance. Leptin is actually a hormone made by the fat cells that regulates food intake and energy expenditure by communicating with the brain. The more fat you have, the more negative leptin messages are actually being sent to your brain. This creates what's called leptin resistance and is going to sabotage all dieting efforts and causes food cravings even when you have enough fat stored. Introducing Zenith, this is an all-new, completely natural formula that gently decreases leptin levels to restore accurate communication between fat cells in the brain. Zenith contains zero harmful stimulants. It's made of all-natural polysaccharides and acetylated fatty acids, very safe for long-term weight loss plans, and it is made in the USA. In an eight-week, university-conducted, double-blind, placebo-controlled study, participants lost 21.3 pounds of fat, lost almost four inches off their waistline, and reduced serum leptin levels by 43%. So if you or someone you know, someone you really love is struggling with weight loss, head down to the show notes. I'll have a link there and a few videos where you can learn more information about Zenith. So listen, I've been experimenting with different types of minerals, especially magnesium, for the past five to six years. But I could never really find a product that I could feel the benefits that magnesium claimed to give. Magnesium is one of the most important minerals for all of human health. It participates in over 600 different biochemical reactions in the body, yet over 80% of the population is deficient. Magnesium deficiency can increase risk for all disease and greatly decrease optimal performance. That's why I like Bioptimizers. They use all seven forms of magnesium in a highly bioavailable form in their product Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium helps with stress, anxiety, sleep, immune function, detoxification, and so much more. If you want to try out this product, head over to Bioptimizers and use code INTEGRATIVETHOUGHTS10 to receive a 10% discount on their amazing product Mag Breakthrough. All right. Today's guest is Sean McCormick. He is actually the host of the Optimal Performance Podcast. He's also a certified life and performance coach. He works with all different clients, NFL players, MLS players, CEOs, television stars. He's kind of an expert in performance and biohacking. He's got one of the longer standing podcasts in the health and biohacking realm. Really cool guy. We get into his meditation practice. He started at a very early age. We talk about breath work, ecstatic dance, and then obviously his favorite subject is psychedelics and how you can utilize them for relationships and performance. And then he even used to own a chain of flotation therapy clinics where he talks about how he's actually even used psychedelics while he's floating. So we get a little bit of floating at the end, but overall it's mostly about breath work, meditation, some psychedelics, absolutely phenomenal podcast. Enjoy. Sean, welcome to the show. How's it going? So excited to be here, man. I can't wait to dive in. I'm like, you know, excited for where this thing's going to go. 
Yeah, should be good. We like a lot of the same things and we reached out and it's funny how I found you is, you know, doing the podcast, you're probably like me, you you listen to a few three, four, five podcasts that your guest has been on when you're trying to prepare, at least I always do, uh, to get a little background and your podcast kept popping up. And so I was like, I was like, whatever. So then I just followed you on Instagram and then from there I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, it makes sense. Like all of the people that I was inter- interviewing you had like already interviewed. So it was pretty cool. I was like to connect finally in real time. Yeah, we're running parallel here and, and uh, super complimentary. Like before we turned the recording button on, it was like, okay, we're going to be nodding a lot and smiling and affirming each other for, for a lot of this. So it's going to be, uh, you know, center of the bullseye for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot more people talking about uh, psychedelics and things nowadays, and I think it's needed. I think like people who are, uh, have been through it and have some education and then kind of how we're going to utilize it, whether it be for performance or an emotional intelligence or whatever that may be, family, and then also like what the future looks like, because we need some more, I think, like critical conversations. There's a lot out there, but I think it needs to be as things keep developing and more science comes out, there needs to be more conversations around how people can kind of integrate different things, what they should look for, you know, all that type of stuff. So I'm glad that you jump on the show. Yeah, there's there's a lot, and, and you know the the cross section. I think at the at the end of the day, not to skip to the last chapter in the book, but you know at the end of the day, we we have all of these tools that are both, you know, um, tools that can help us get back in touch with our primal selves, the way that we've evolved as as, as human beings to exist in this plane of existence, um, combined with cutting edge technology and biohacking tools that um that that create this uh foundation for health that is customizable that is replicatable that is um you know specific to where you are in your life right now and you know whether it's biogeometry pendants or combo or you know um float tanks or you know there's just so many options and i think it's 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 incumbent on you and i to help people kind of parse some of this stuff out and talk through which things work you know how they can help you so uh, you know it's exciting to have conversations like this because the future is looks really good it looks really bright for for people who are not only struggling with uh with mental health issues but vitality issues, um, uh, you know, uh, trauma issues, um, and and people who are are doing really good, but want to go from good to great to become their best selves. And, and I believe that that all of the the biohacking and psychedelics and um, meditation, and all this stuff, leads us to elevate our vibration so that we can be more in line with our sort of spiritual path. And I've talked to like, you know, to, to Paul check about this, you know, um, when he was on my podcast about like, what's all this for, what's all this biohacking for? Like what, why do I, why do I want to be the, the fullest physical expression of myself? Why do I want to raise my vitality? And I believe, you know, kind of borrowing from, you know, um, forefathers like, you know, Rudolf Steiner is that this is a path. This is, you know, Abraham Maslow, it's a path toward this uh, self-actualization process. And, and so, and there's a lot of stuff to keep track of. It's a lot, it's a, it's a lot. So we're here to, to help, uh, shine some light on it. Yeah, I think so. And also, I guess there, there needs to be kind of 
people who are more so trailblazers or maybe you would just say more experimental because there's been things that I've actually spent money on and I didn't really get much, you know, ROI on that. And it was a thousand bucks or it was 700 bucks or some crazy supplement, you know, that was like costing me $150 a month. And I took it for six months straight. And I, you know, I circle back around and go, you know, I didn't really get too much out of that. I was just playing with that. And so I like that to be able to like, okay, this is my experience. Maybe you'd be better on something else that's more cost effective or something, you know, because not everyone's just going to keep unloading the pocketbook. They're trying to weed through these different podcasts, see what resonates with them and see what like, you know, the best thing for their family or whatever will be because shit can add up, as you know, especially doing the podcast, you're trying this person's supplement, you're trying this person's device, you know, they don't always send it to you. Sometimes you got to buy it and it's like, you know, so it adds up. Well, and and the thing, (laughs) the thing that I think is really important to keep in mind is that for a lot of us, everyone listening right now would be served greatly by taking a look at what they can omit first. First, first and foremost, it's free to stop eating sugar. It's free to meditate. It's free to limit your social media exposure. These sorts of practices that are uh, centered around getting back to baseline, and I've created you know frameworks around this, and it's a big part of my coaching. Is what what needs to go? You know how do, how can you trim these things in your life that are no longer serving you? You know automatic negative thoughts. You know a classic you know sort of coaching uh, framework around you know where does your mind go in your default mode network when things are still and quiet? Where do you go mentally and? Reframing that stuff is just as uh, just as effective as the newest biohacking gadget, um, or you know, a trip to Costa Rica to sit with plant medicine. You know, the the I think it's important to kind of start there and remind people that you're gonna do you're gonna you're gonna go a very long way to be happier, healthier, more calm, more focused, with better sleep, better physical attributes by omitting things first and then you can start to add back in things that that will enhance where you're at. So I think it's a it's a really important reminder, but it's hard to give up sugar. It's hard to give up Netflix. It's hard to give up porn. It's hard to give up this stuff that is preying on our sort of dopamine receptors. And, um, and, and again, it's like this, this campaign that you and I are on to, to kind of remind people, Hey, there's some, there's some, there's some new ideas here to put some frameworks around it. And so, yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't have to break the bank in order to be your best self. And I think that that's a really important reminder. Yeah. Beautifully said. And I did want to touch on that. So let's, I guess that's one of my first questions we can start there is I know you've had a longstanding meditation practice, which you just mentioned there. Why don't you tell us how your meditation practice started and how it's evolved over time? Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've, my, my parents out of, um, out of much needed, um, resources for me to self-regulate, uh, my folks taught me transcendental meditation when I was 12. You know, I tested positive for ADD, ADHD. This was like, you know, 1993. And, uh, my dad is a behaviorist, um, you know, classic Skinner operant conditioning. You know, you can take a, do a, go down the rabbit hole of, of Skinner and the rat that clicks the lever to get the cocaine, you know, like, um, operant conditioning. So, you know, my dad was like, oh, let's not medicate. Let's not medicate Sean. Let's try some other things first. 
And so when I was 12 years old, you know, it was sports, a busy sports schedule wasn't enough playing outside and running myself ragged outside every single day, you know, traipsing through the woods here in the Pacific Northwest wasn't enough in order. It was, I, I just had such a high capacity for energy. I was just, you know, buzzing all the time. Uh, it affected my sleep, affected my, you know, my, my mental well-being because I was just like jamming all the time. I couldn't shut my mind off. My parents said, okay, we're going to teach you transcendental meditation. And it was the last thing I wanted to do. I mean, I, there's nothing worse than trying to get a 12-year-old sort of pubescent type A extrovert to sit quietly and repeat a mantra. So at 12, my parents were like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to teach you. So they did. I was resistant. I hated it. And when I was buzzing off the walls, you know, it's 10 o'clock on a Saturday or most of the time it was in the evening time. It was, it was like trying to calm down and chill out. And Sean is still jamming off the wall and picking fights with his big brother. They said, okay, we're, we're going to do it. So we sat down and they, my dad taught me, um, TM and they were taught by, um, like the third or fourth in line from uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who was the creator of TM. For those of you who don't know what TM is, you can look at like the Beatles and Seinfeld and David Lynch, and um, you know it's 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 a really classic mantra based meditation. And so at at twelve, I was resistant every single time. They would just say, "Sean, go sit." And this is like oh, hearing Sean go sit was like so frustrating. So it took me like six months of not daily meditation, but a couple of times of week, a couple of times a week at 20 minutes minimum. I mean, at a bare minimum, I was sitting in a, in a room quietly by myself. Um, and they would come check on me to make sure that I wasn't reading a book or playing with GI Joe guys, you know, or, or doing that stuff. So I really did have to like sit quietly with my eyes closed. And it was about six months before I had that first experience. And I think that this was, you know, looking back at it, this was a catalyst for me to understand an altered state of consciousness, to really sort of grok this feeling of interconnectedness and stillness and peace and joy and love in the quiet going inside. And I remember it like it was yesterday, I, you know, for people who are meditators or for people who have had, you know, transcendent experiences in, in a float tank, you know, where it's about stillness, right? Not, not necessarily with a, with a psychedelic, but where you have that moment where you're like, okay, I'm not awake and I'm not asleep. And then you kind of like, you kind of come back to consciousness and you're like, oh, where was I just then? Where was I? I was just in a totally different state of consciousness. I know I wasn't sleeping. That is a, a theta brainwave state. It's a meditative state. And I remember, I remember it so clearly uh, about six months in, and I got it. I really understood it. I had this like calm and peace and love. Like my shoulders came down and back. Like I felt, I felt really relaxed. I felt really like, whole and interconnected, like this Jungian sort of, um, you know, collective subconscious, this experience that, that, that I'm, I'm so grateful for, 
you know, now at 40 to have that at 12 years old. That's why my 10 and seven year old uh, kids also meditate is because I want them to experience that early. And so then after I had that, that sort of breakthrough meditation experience, that's when I realized, okay, there is a benefit to this. I still sort of you know, lamented having to go, Sean, go sit. I, I go sit. And the frequency of those actual meditation experiences, saying the mantra that my dad gave me, he just gave me his, you know, the, the, there's a whole backstory about what the TM mantras are. You know, it's based on your gender and on your age. So for me, I used his and I, you know, I don't care. I'm not telling any secrets. This isn't brought to you by the, you know, Transcendental Meditation Academy. So, you know, I, I used his, which was Wa. Wa was my mantra. At 12 years old, my dad gave me Wa. So I would go into Wa. And, and over time, um, I, I found out what, it, what the mantra would be specifically actually for me, which is now Shirim, S-H-I-R-I-M, Shirim, Shirim, Shirim. But that frequency of meditation allowed me to focus better in class. It allowed me to not get so, you know, fired up at my brother when he provoked me. It allowed me to kind of sit still when I needed to sit still. You know, things clicked easier. I sort of understood, you know, greater concepts more readily. And that was the beginning, you know, in a lot of ways, that was the beginning to my path as, um, um, as a, as a trip sitter, as a, a float center chain um, founder, um, as, as, a, as a sort of a consciousness cosmonaut. And we can go into this if you would like, but there was also a deep connection to my spirit guides. And there's a whole other like left turn we could take into the connection that I had with my spirit guides and sort of connecting dots between dream states that later led to um, an astral projection practice that I was really, really dedicated to for about 18 months. So I cannot, it's, it's free. Uh, it travels anywhere. Uh, it feels good and it makes you a better human. And, and that, that's a, that's a pretty good sales pitch for anybody to like begin to explore meditation. Yeah, that's beautiful. When I first picked up meditation, it was funny. Um, similar, I think you said something about your parents, like learning it in college or something. And that's what happened for me is, you know, I was just a big partier. I mean, really just hedonistic, very just didn't care, sex, drugs, rock and roll, but also was going to college, you know, same type of thing. Didn't, didn't have to worry about much when you're young and you're just in college, you're just fucking around. And I needed one credit to graduate, literally. And uh, there was like two just simple one credit classes that fit my schedule and one was like some martial like judo or something and the other one was meditation and so i was like well the the one was kind of at nighttime i was like i'll just take the meditation it's like early in the morning i'll just get it out of the way and he had us doing these practices every week and then he wanted us to do them in between and i was kind of like shifty like i didn't really do them in between much but like in class and then he had us doing like tai chi and like i would feel the energy for real like between my hands after you did like that half hour 45 minutes of that tai chi and then he has you like feel the energy in between i'm like really wasn't i was like a super atheist honestly because i was like big like science like analytical style mind i had a, i always say this i had a teacher in high school that was like taught us about evolution and i kind of just like thought it made sense you know until you take mushrooms and you realize it doesn't make sense but um <laughs> you know back then i had never done that and i was just like 
what is this energy then? If it's something I can't see, like what there has to be a little bit more going on, but still didn't really like still kind of kept the atheist thing was like, oh, maybe we're just like moving matter or something's in between there. But that's kind of how my meditation got started. And then I kind of slacked on it because I was like doing drugs and partying all the time in my 20s. So I kind of didn't do it. And then I started listening to Tim Ferriss's podcast and like basically every single like super performing person obviously has like the highest performing people in the world on his show. They all kept going back to meditation. So I was like, well, fuck it. If they're being productive on doing meditation, then I'll just, I wasn't even thinking about it spiritually. And then the more you get into it, you're right. You get that like first experience where you like drop, you really drop in. It's like, it's different from like all the time before that. It was just like chaos. It's just like, sounds like a fucking train's coming by. You're just like, can't sit still barely, but you just force it. And then there's just that one time where it just clicks, where you're just all of a sudden you're just in like a, a trance. You're just in a, a completely different state. And then you come out of it and you go, what the hell just happened right there? Like that was something different from all the other times. It just kind of made me calmer. I still liked what I got, even like working through the chaos. Like, like you kind of explained that, that kind of pause that you can have before you have an interaction with someone who's kind of triggering you. That was like one of the first things I noticed with meditation. And for me, someone who likes to speak his mind and is just kind of reckless and, you know, was partying all the time. I was kind of like, okay, now I can kind of like, I have that like one second pause before I snap at my brother or before I say something stupid to like my mom or my partner or a friend, just kind of, or anybody even out at a party. I was just kind of like starting to notice a little shift in that like one, all it takes is that one second, but you don't have that yeah. one second before you start meditating. It's just, it's just rapid fire. And then when you start meditating, you kind of notice that you have this little pause and people wouldn't, wouldn't really understand it unless they've had like a long-standing meditation practice where you can kind of have some wiggle room before the response. And then it even gets better over time. You're like, well, maybe I just won't even respond to that text till tomorrow. Like when normally it's like, here's a long paragraph yeah. where I got to fucking completely apologize for the next three days because I just sent you a long ass text and you're, you're my brother. And I just literally fucking blew you to shreds and I could have literally just slept on it and like everything would have been okay. Like literally it's bizarre, but meditation is cool. And I've never done TM, but I just kind of, you know, I've done different uh, guided meditations. I started with the Headspace app that was kind of recommended, yeah. I think by Tim Ferriss at the time, that was probably like 2016 or something like that. And then just from there, after a while, you just get used to kind of doing it on your own. And I've tried doing a few mantras I picked up, but it, I never really stuck with that. But I just like sit for 20, just chill, drop in. The last couple of years, I played around with the Zen nasal spray by Dr. John before meditation. I don't know if you've played with that, but stuff's mm -hmm. pretty dope. It's like a, um, you know, Dr. John Laurence? Uh, sounds familiar. I don't think I, no, I don't think I do actually. Yeah, he's great. He's uh, down at Advanced Rejuvenation down in Sarasota. <laughs> He makes all these suppositories and does all these IVs and stuff at his clinic, but he's got like Buddha statues and shit in there. He's like super spiritual into psychedelics, but also makes like these really fringe supplements. Well, what he did is he took Hoppe, which I'm sure you've done in some of your ceremonies. He thought Hoppe was a little too powerful, so he turned it into a, a nasal spray, but then he also has like uh, cannabinoids in one of them. He put oxytocin mm. in there, so it's like got this super calming effect but then this like loving effect from the oxytocin it's bizarre it's like it's insane you do one two sprays each nostril before some breath work or meditation you'll be in a completely different state 
Caveat, Ooh. it can be addicting. I haven't used it in like four or five months because I was like on it like every day for like a year. Uh, I was like, okay, let me take a short break here and yeah. I can give that a rest. And uh, But That's it's good. great because I can't really use actual hape with any consistency because I'll kind of get stuffy. Like if I do that like hape like two days in a row, my nostrils are like, this is too much. You know, some people yeah. do that shit all the time, but it's a little too powerful. But with the Zen spray, you can just do like one spray, kind of drop in. So you should definitely at least try that out. Maybe have him on your show. He's great. He's been on my show. Um, but yeah, the meditation is great. So how has it evolved for you over time? Do you still do uh, the mantras or have you kind of shifted as you've evolved? Yeah. Well, I want to go back to a, to a point that you made a little earlier. It's like, you know, it's, it's easy to fill 20 minutes with doom scrolling. It's easy to to fill 20 minutes with a snack or, you know, it makes it even more important given the fact that we're exposed to more information in a day than our great grandparents were exposed to in a year. Like it, the, the deck is stacked against us. You know, the, 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 the man and the powers that be have designed, you know, digital platforms and all sorts of other, you know, um, interactions and platforms and, you know, social media that, that, that just preys on our neurochemicals. So it's, it's even more important. It's even more meaningful to develop, even if it's five minutes, you know, if you want to sit for five minutes and just do breath work, that's, that's a great on road, but it kind of gets back to my earlier point is like, if you can omit things, if you can start by omitting certain behaviors that are distracting you or depleting your energy or you know if you spend 10 minutes on Twitter you're going to you're going to see a bunch of shit that that turns you inside out and freaks you out right you would be better served um sitting um sitting in meditation or in breath work and to that point you know and and I'll talk I'll talk here about how how my meditation practice has evolved but for a lot of people meditation is really inaccessible a because of the time b because of the distraction c because of the environment that they're in or their schedules families at home noises and stuff what i think is a even better starting place is breath work you can get to a similar experience of of calm and peace you uh, through down regulation breath work or to you know um, elevation and vitality and vibrancy through upregulating breath work, and I think for most people starting there is probably a good good decision. If you're like, I know I should meditate, I'm sick of hearing about it. You know, there's all these apps. I just doesn't sound fun to me. It doesn't. I don't. I don't want. I don't want to make the time. Or I'm not making the time. You can you can get and access very similar states and have even more. You know, arguably even more of an effect overall in an experience through breath work. And my favorite app for breath work is a, is an app called Othership. I've tried a bunch of different breath work apps and what Othership does is it combines really great music with some of the most gifted breath work teachers and guides in the world. I mean, it is, it is really astounding. So if you want to sit for five minutes and, uh, and, and, you know, chill the fuck out or you want to sit for 45 and go on a journey that's a really good place to start for people so so for people who are like i know i should meditate but i just am not ready yet just start doing some breath work commit to it do it for a month and see how that goes and you'll you'll kind of you'll understand uh the benefits more physically you'll notice like 
even if you just did that right now, if you're listening to this right now, which you wouldn't hear my voice if you weren't, <laughs> uh, just do some four second in and four second out nasal breathing and you will notice a shift in your physiology. Those three breaths that I just did, especially with my kind of sort of cold symptoms going on, I immediately started to feel warm, right? Experiment and toy around with 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 different breath work, and you'll find that it's that it's really noticeable and it's really fast acting. So, my my uh, meditation practice evolved tremendously over the years. You know, through you know through middle school and high school and into college and beyond. Um, from um, you know uh, TM, which has a tendency, and my you know maybe my dad sort of programmed me a little bit this way, um, but. It, it has a way to kind of almost create a little bit of complacency. And, you know, what I found as a, you know, sort of a standout athlete in, in high school and college was that TM would kind of leave me feeling kind of depleted, like calm, you know, grounded, based, chill, focused, but also kind of took away a little bit of the sort of edge that I wanted in order to be, you know, um, you know, the, you know, uh, a collegiate scholarship athlete. So what I shifted to was more of a mindfulness meditation practice and mindfulness is, um, you know, looking at like where you are in this moment, focusing on the breath, focusing, um, allowing those thoughts to come in and to notice them and let them go and going back to, uh, back to your breath. So, um, uh, you know, there's there's so many different meditation practices. There's Vipassana. You know, I'm sure some of your listeners have experienced Vipassana or gone on a, like a 10 day meditation retreat. And I think that that's great. I just don't know that it, that it works and fits for me. So I tinkered around with with uh, mindfulness for a number of years, and then it evolved as my sort of spiritual path evolved alongside of it, in connection with with spirit guides, um, angels, and masters was more of like a, a, a collaborative sort of prayer or um, invocation. So instead of um, mindfulness, it evolved into a, a practice where I now intentionally go get into state, get my breath work to sort of downregulate, to drop in, and then I connect with my guides, my, my crew. Um, and that's what it is now. It's, it's, it's less of a practice around, you know, um, chilling out and regulating, but it's more intentional, um, to, to, to enhance myself, to align myself with my highest self, to connect with my guides, to connect with the masters, because it's something that I, you know, really rely on for my coaching practice and also in psychedelic, um, coaching that I do. And so now it's, it's more of a, uh, it's more to, more of a spiritual practice, and you know, um, when you look back at sort of the yogic scriptures of of like what yoga is, yoga was a series of movements and postures that allowed you to sit in meditation longer, and so you would do yoga, warrior two or whatever, and stretch your body out to tap into that, so that you were able to to sit in meditation and connect to source. And so connecting to source or sources uh, is now what, what my meditation looks like. But it's, it, you know, I, 
I, this is going to sound cheesy, but I try to be meditating or be in a meditative state all day, every day, you know, walking the dog, playing with my kids, um, you know, rolling jujitsu, um, psychedelic states. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tap into that, that alignment with higher self. Um, and because I have so much other experience in altered states of consciousness, like float tanks, you know, 500 plus hours in the float tank, um, you know, a hundred plus ayahuasca ceremonies like this, those have primed my consciousness and shaped my consciousness in such a way that I try to do this all day, every day, because I want to be tapped in. I want to be tapped in, in a flow state chatting with you. I want to be tapped in, in a flow state, you know, this afternoon when I've got a coaching call. And, and, and I think what the key point is here is that once you're able, and, and again, I want to make an appeal to everybody. It's so worth exploring because once you have that first experience where you're like, oh, I feel that, that feels pretty good, that bleeds into your normal everyday life. Just like you said, that little moment that you have when you're talking to people where you're like, oh, I, I don't feel triggered. I don't feel like I need to bite your head off. I'm not going to flip this guy off in traffic. I'm not going to you know, I'm not going to fly off the handle or send a shitty email to people. Meditation integrates into your life in that way and gives you, uh, makes you kind of superhuman to be able to do that. So what I would, what I would invite everybody to do is to start with breath work. You know, if you're, you know, you're listening now, so you're interested in psychedelics, um, try those things, get into a float tank, um, go dance, you know, go do some ecstatic dance and dance for six hours at, at a festival and get into those, get into those states and then explore, um, different meditation practices that, uh, that'll be, that'll be right for you. So you got to tinker around. Yeah, man. I, uh, totally agree. I think breath work can kind of be that gateway to kind of enhance someone's meditation if they're not able to sit there kind of for 20 minutes by themselves. And I'm glad you brought up ecstatic dance. Cause that's a Definitely like one of our top main experiences that we've like become obsessed with. We do it at all of our retreats that we throw. We throw those like quarterly kind of close here to Tampa. And then we just started doing uh we did our first one last month here in Tampa because there are no other ones around only over in St. Pete, but it's like 40 minutes away. So wanted to make it a little bit more accessible to the people who are driving over there to go. And then uh, we're having another one in a few weeks, like October 7th or something. But ecstatic dance is amazing. If you guys have never played around with that, you can get into a deep, uh, just kind of like the first, I guess the first four songs, I would say you're really stuck in your like mind body, like 3D reality. You're kind of like, are people looking at me? Like what's going on here? Like, am I supposed to move a certain way? And then it starts to just like flow and you realize no one's really even paying attention to you because they're kind of in their own body. And then you just start letting loose and looking weird. And uh, one thing I like to do uh, before ecstatic dance, I know it's supposed to be like a sober experience, but I always play mm. with different molecules. And I actually really, really love drinking a feel free uh, bottle before I go into ecstatic dance. I don't know if you've played around with feel free. I don't drink them that often, yeah. but for like an experience like that, it kind of the kava just like loosens me up. The kratom gives me a, maybe a little confidence to move and not really care. And I'm just like really free flowing and it's not really like an altered state much, but it's just kind of just loosens me up. And so I don't know if you've ever done a feel free before ecstatic dance, but I really enjoy that. 
Yeah, no, I've never, I've never toyed around with feel free before ecstatic dance. The, the, I think the key is, is that you're just like letting go, right? You're just getting, get over yourself. Don't take yourself so seriously. Nobody, nobody cares how you look when you're wiggling out there. And you know, it, it's, it's aligned with this like surrender, right? Surrender to the experience that you're in and let your, let a deeper part of yourself connect with the music, connect with the other people that are dancing, connect with your body connect with this experience that you don't get every day. And, and it's super freeing, you know, it's like, again, like I, I talk a lot and think about the, the default mode network a lot. And what the default mode network is, is I like to think of it as, so it's, it's a, it's a part of your brain that is basically when you're, when you're still and you're not doing anything, what, what is your default mode of consciousness? And, and to a certain extent, I like to think about it sort of as the ego, like we have to have it. You know, some people talk, you know, especially in the psychedelic space is like ego death and like getting rid of the ego. And it's like, well, if you got rid of the ego, you would not survive. Like you have to pay your bills. You have to put clothes on, you have to tie your shoes. You have to, you know, the, the ego is what sort of keeps us on track to, to hopefully, if your ego is is in a, in alignment with what you're doing in the world, which isn't necessarily your profession, but if your ego is in alignment with what you're what you're here to do, then you can use it. You can you can work with it. It's a it's um it's an it's a life enhancing sort of um, way to think about you know sort of your subconscious. But the default mode network is quieted when you are in meditation, when you're floating, when you're on psychedelics, when you are in ecstatic dance, it's like you just sort of get over yourself a little bit. And and that's hard for a lot of people to do. This idea of like, well, who am I? Who, like, what does that mean? How am I seeing? How, how am I showing up in the world? How do people see me? And when you can let go of all that, you feel like a kid again. I mean, you really do feel like happy-go-lucky, freewheeling uh, a child who just wants to play and have fun and just be a human, right? Not, you don't, you don't have to fall in line with what society or culture expects you to be. So I'm, I'm, I'm super stoked. I want to see if I can find a way to time it. You said, uh, maybe we'll come down early cause I'm going to be in, in Florida for Wonderland in November. So maybe I can him, but we should meet up either way. But but I I I'm a huge fan of of ecstatic dance. You know the the if you've if you've never been to a grungy hippie dusty festival, uh, you should go. You should just go buy the ticket, go watch some bluegrass, go watch some psychedelic funk, and just go wiggle a little bit with all the weirdos down there. And you you will connect with a with a with a part of yourself that has probably been suppressed for a really long time. So it, it doesn't surprise me that, that, that that's a big part of what you guys do. But um, I'm I'm encouraged to hear it. Yeah, that, it kind of stemmed from the fact that we used to go to like raves and festivals, right? And you'd be on MDMA, and that was kind of like some of my first, although it wasn't intentional, kind of like mind opening, like literally just doing molly at like a show and you kind of go what just happened right there like the lights everything you could feel like people's feelings almost you felt like tapped into something different and i was like wow that was pretty fucking cool and i never really like i liked like street drugs when i was partying like adderall or vicodin and shit like that when i used to party all the time 
And someone's like, no, man, you got to take, you know, MDMA when you go to this show. I'm like, okay, sure. And then you get, and then I take a couple of them and I'm in there and I'm like, wow, this shit is different from the little like low vibrational, like street drug drugs that I'm used to. I mean, I grew up in Flint, Michigan. They were just super common. And, but yeah, like that was kind of like some of my first experiences. And then after I went to like a show or two and did that, like later I went to like a festival festival, you know, like a three day camping thing in Wisconsin. And we're just like, everyone's just doing acid and doing Molly and doing all these drugs. I'm like, what the hell's going on? This shit was fun. But then, you know, it's like, oh, so there's part of that that's like, you're doing too much. There's really not any intention around it. So obviously not really recommending that, but you can have some mind opening, like expansive uh, kind of downloads that come from some of those uh, type of events. And then we wanted to figure out how to like bring some of that into somewhat of a sober state, right? Like, because we don't go to the raves anymore, we're older, we don't really drink much. So it's like, how do we dance and have fun like we used to at raves, but in like a more spiritual container in a safe space and where everybody can kind of do that? Because really, you know, you hear it pretty much unanimously as we do like the sharing circle in the beginning is like people all are like, I've never really danced besides when I'm drunk, like at the club, like literally people have never danced unless they've been on drugs or drunk at the bar. So it's like a new experience for them if they've never been before, at least. And so we really like to bridge that gap between like the people who do like they'd like to dance, but they don't know where they would dance unless they would go Mm -hmm. out to the bar. And a lot of the people in our community are either older or spiritual and just don't really go to the bar. So we like to bridge that gap. And it's a good icebreaker for our retreats as well, because it gets them uncomfortable really fast. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it's, it's such a beautiful way, again, to just let go, get over yourself, stop taking yourself so seriously. And once you can do that, sort of disarm all of the walls that you've created, right? Whether you wear a suit to work or not, you know, we, we put on, we wear these masks, we put on these facades, we sort of slip into these archetypes that, that, that are obviously culturally sanctioned and, and there is nothing more primal. There is nothing more, uh, effective to get into your body, to just move it, just let it like the hips are, are the hips themselves. If you let your hips go, man, you're going to transform. And I love it that you do at the beginning of, of, uh, of retreats because, um, the, it does, it, it has a way of disarming you has a way of, of getting out of your head and, and, and letting go because any sort of deep work that you're interested in doing has to come with surrender, has to come with letting go of things that no longer serve you. You know, that, that is, that it's, it's such an important concept to sort of grok is this letting go of things that no longer serve you, kind of tying it back to this, you know, omission of sugar and porn and these sorts of things of Netflix or, you know, binging Netflix, letting go of that stuff that no longer serves you. Cannabis, cannabis is a really excellent example of, of, of something that you think it's doing something for you, but it's really not. It's doing something else, you know, letting, letting go of, uh, and reanalyzing your relationship with cannabis can be a really great way to to kind of get back to basics and to to get, re, get get back in touch with with who you are and you know wiggling and moving your hips with a little bit of kava sounds like perfect <laughs> yeah it, it, it's great I mean you know it doesn't have to be with kava the, the my first few experiences I just did nothing you know I was just there trying it out 
And then I played around with feel free a few times here and there. I don't drink them with any consistency because I know the Kratom can be a little addictive or whatever. So I might have like one or two a month. Sometimes I drink one before I go to a concert because like I don't really drink as much anymore. So I might just like when I'm trying to loosen up like that. But uh, one day I was like, you know, I was like driving past the gas station that sells them. And I was like, you know, I'm going to try this feel free before I do ecstatic dance. And because of someone that I had met up with at a, a mastermind, he throws retreats as well. He told me he was giving people, everyone kava before they did ecstatic dance at his retreat because it kind of loosened everyone up. So I was just like, OK, I'm gonna try. I like the feel free is how I feel on them. So I tried it. I think it's great. I think you really it's easier to let go. It's easier to kind of just move and not care because that kava is almost like a drink alternative. But without all the side effects, you're not hung over. You're not inebriated. You're just kind of you're good for like four or yeah. five hours off feel free. Yeah, I love it. Loosen up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I used to be an alcoholic, so I'd love to feel a little loose. So if I'm going to go dance, I'll take something that makes me feel a little bit loose, you know? Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. So why don't we get into uh, actually how you first even got introduced into psychedelics. I kind of explained how I got into MDMA and then whatever, but what like you started to meditate quite early, did you just become super spiritual in your 20s or like after high school or how did that look? And then when did you get introduced to psychedelics? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, going, going back and looking at the, the, the meditation, um, practice as, as a kid, you know, kind of primed me for altered states of consciousness. It, it, it's, it gave me a sort of vantage point for how, um, how it felt to not necessarily be in, my body. And I was a good, I was a good boy, um, through high school. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke. I didn't, you know, I didn't skip class. I was ASB president and I was a goody two shoes. And, uh, it wasn't until I got into college where I started to experiment with, um, with mushrooms in smaller doses. Um, my first psychedelic experience was, you know, uh, probably pretty typical, um, you know, on campus, you know, the, where I went to school was this, um, it's like embedded into a hillside. There's like this arboretum where it's these beautiful hiking trails and, you know, architecture and, uh, art kind of peppered in the woods. And so, uh, I have no idea how much I took. The guy just said, here, eat this. And so it was me and a couple other dudes, my freshman year in the dorm room and I had, uh, it, it clicked for me so quickly. It was like, we just went walking around in the woods, laughing and dancing and goofing around and climbing trees in the middle of the night, um, just like really cutting loose and letting go. And that, that was a, that was a sort of, um, it kind of harkened back to the, to the early meditation experiences of that sort of altered state, that non-normal state of consciousness. But it wasn't really until I had acid when I was about 20 that things really clicked for me. So we went to this little teeny tiny festival um, along a riverside in, uh, in central Washington. And um, I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty incredible. The, the people that, that held this festival was like a group of families, you know, it was like, eight families or something and all of their friends, they're a bunch of like deadheads and fish heads that set up these, uh, um, uh, sound stages. And it was a, it was a little tiny little mini festival. It was held in the big bottom Valley. Um, so it was big bottom fest, uh, where I first had my first experience with, uh, with LSD 
and they knew how to do it. These, these deadheads, they knew what they were doing, you know, light purple lights, all sorts of kaleidoscope colors, um, you know, shooting upward into the trees. You know, there was like a 10 foot double helix suspended from this massive cedar tree that like hung down in this pathway down to the river. And it was me and a bunch of my buddies. And, um, we, we, well, we took it probably, I don't know, six or seven o'clock at night. And like, you know, that, that scene from the matrix where Neo can kind of see through things and he can like see the sort of binary coding and stuff. Like I was having that experience, um, walking through the woods and I could like see through the trees. Um, you know, um, I was, I was meeting people and like <clears throat> tapping right into their, like the deepest parts of them. Uh, I was, you know, uh, stripped down naked and jumped into this river, you know, at two o'clock in the morning and played, you know, played the bongo drums around a campfire until the sun came up. And that was like my first, that was like my first big, huge psychedelic experience that changed me forever. I mean, how many people do you know, you know, titans of commerce, um, that, that point to their, to their psychedelic experience as being, you know, some of the most important experiences in their life. And it was, it was for me, I, I knew that, um, that psychedelics could give me, uh, could enhance my vision, enhance my creativity, enhance my connectedness to the people that I was around. And, uh, but I took it really slow. You know, we know that the, that the human brain doesn't really develop fully until like 25 or 27. And so, you know, there's, there's some pitfalls to smoking weed in the eighth grade or, you know, taking Vicodin, uh, or Adderall's, you know, in, in high school or college, cause your brain, your prefrontal cortex is still developing. So there can be some damaging effects to doing psychedelics that early. Um, and I, so I dove into the research and I did a bunch of reading on, you know, how often should I do this? I really enjoyed this, but you know, what sort of place does this, uh, have in my life? And slowly, but surely had one experience after another, sort of slowly over time, graduated college, got into, you know, got into the real world afterward, but still like that was sort of, it was, it was calling to me. I was super interested in, in, in that type of work. Um, and then, you know, um, psilocybin and LSD and MDMA and MDA uh, peyote, you know, but I was always really firm on making sure that it was the right setting. You know, um, I, you know, everybody knows set and setting is, is critical mindset and, and where you're doing it are like critical elements and you're a master at this. So you, you obviously you're, you're providing that for people. And because, I wanted to do this right. I didn't want to use it as a as a way to escape. I didn't want it. I didn't want to you know explore psychedelic experiences as a way to like necessarily even cope. But I wanted to just expand my consciousness. Um, and so I, I went really slow. You know, I never did mushrooms at a drunken house party. I just knew that that wasn't the right spot for me. You know, lots of opportunities. You know, um, but. I made sure that whenever I was doing it, I was with people that I felt safe with, 
with people that I, that I had confidence that they were going to be able to keep their shit together because I didn't want to like have to baby anybody. I eventually had to, you know, baby people, <laughs> you know, which was like the very beginning of, of sort of the, the, the work that I do now, which is to hold space and, and be a trip sitter for people. And, and so I think anybody that, that, that is, that is into this work or curious about working with psychedelics is to get that part right. Right. Obviously make sure that it's, that it's high quality and that it's clean, that it's tested. You know, it's, it's risky out there to be taking any sort of crystals or powders because it can be, you know, it can be really dangerous, but make sure that, that you're doing it with people who have their shit together and you're doing it in an environment that is conducive to growth, not just a party, like parties are good, but not just a party. Make sure that, that you're, you're going into it with, with an intention, whatever your intention is. I'm, I'm not here to tell you what your intention is, but just to be really clear that, that, um, where and how and with who is really, really important. And it, you know, you're going to give yourself an opportunity to have a much, much deeper experience. So that's the, that's the primer on my sort of psychedelic genesis. Yeah, that's amazing. And so it sounds like you've tried a little bit of everything. Obviously, you said 100 ayahuasca ceremonies. You've played a little bit with everything. What do you think, uh, which psychedelic you think has been like the most critical in your development, would you say? Oof. Well, I think I've learned the most from psilocybin. You know, um, regardless of what you think psilocybin is, whether you're you know, convinced by Terrence McKenna that, that that's an alien life form that came from another planet, um, or um, you know, the fact that biologically we're fairly similar to fungi. Um, it has a sentience. You know, just like ayahuasca has a sentience, uh, the mushroom does too. The mushroom wants to teach. It wants to learn. It wants to experience humanness. So not only does it have, not only is it a teacher, but it wants to be in you, if that makes sense. And I'll go kind of on a, like a little left turn here. What I've learned in all of the ayahuasca ceremonies, um, working with plant teachers and plant medicine and understanding the power of master plants is that similarly to cannabis, cannabis wants to be in you. It's a master plant, right? Same as lavender, same as um, cacao. These are plants that have sentience that were here way before we were, but they actually want to be in us. So when you're smoking cannabis, when you're smoking weed, it wants in. It wants to experience what it's like to be a human. Same with cacao, same with ayahuasca or pinon blanco or ajo sacha, these sort of master plants from the you know, the uh, South American jungle and they have uh, something to teach you. And so I would say that I think mo the most sort of productive, the most um, life enhancing, you know, uh, material that I've ever worked with is, is by far psilocybin. And and so I've developed, you know, developed a relationship and understanding with it. And I listen, you know, and I, you know, some people do this, some this to others, this might sound bananas, but I talk to it, you know, I call it, you know, honey, it's like, okay, honey, where are we going? Where are we going tonight? What, are, what do you have to teach me? What do I need to know that I don't know now? What, what do you have to show me that is going to be useful to me in my life right now? <coughs> Excuse me. 
that that's that's a good practice that anybody can get into is to begin a dialogue, a collaboration with these uh, with these compounds because they do want to teach you. They they have uh, they have wisdom that that you can integrate into your body that will make you you know healthier, stronger, more creative, more focused, less anxious, less depressed. And so when you develop that sort of collaborative sort of relationship, especially with, um, uh, with psilocybin, then you do learn more there. It's, it's life enhancing, you know, you, and, and, and oftentimes it's not stuff you want to hear. (laughs) Oftentimes it's things that are fairly inconvenient, like, Hey dude, you need to repair this relationship. You know, oftentimes when people get into psychedelic experiences and they start to loop, right? You know, a lot of people listening right now are like, yeah, I've been there, where it's like you're just looping. This idea just keeps going over and over. There's a blockage there. You know, um, I'm going to be a bad dad or um, I don't make enough money or, um, you know, the world is, you know, um, a disaster. These sorts of loops that you get into are, are blockages. And when you go into these experiences with, um, uh, with an intention to be collaborative and to learn and to sort of break down some of those, some of those loops, some of those blockages, then you can learn a lot in a short period of time. And there's a distinction between a bad trip and a hard trip. Like a bad trip is you did it at a house party. Everybody was hammered. Um, you took too much you broke up with your girlfriend, the cops came, you know, that's a bad trip. A hard trip is you cried and wept and you looked at yourself in the mirror and found that you needed to do some work and you realized that you're, you're not who you, th- you're not showing up the way that is, that is in alignment with your best purpose. That's a hard trip. So there's this distinction like, oh, I've got to learn these lessons that's a good thing. Like that's, that's, that's an important part of, of any type of work, uh, with psychedelics, especially psilocybin. You know, I would say the most fun in the, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of LSD. Um, you know, the, the visions, the, 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 uh, the cognitive expansion, the, the interconnectedness, you know, I'm a, I'm a highly visual tripper. You know, I see, I see a lot both eyes open and eyes closed. Um, I could, you know, tell you crazy stories in, in ayahuasca ceremonies about where I've been transported to and things I've seen. Um, but the, um, the, the, well, I forgot where I was going with that. Um, LSD is really special because it does, it does shift your perspective. It's uh, and because it's man-made and it's not plucked out of the you know a, a cow pie, but rather you know something that's synthesized. There is there is sort of an angular mechanical sort of aspect to it, um, which which uh, which I really kind of like and enjoy. But um, uh, you know everybody's different, and I think everybody should you know if if you feel called to it, experiment with different types because you don't know which of those. Is, um, are going to really resonate with you. You know, you, you, you said that, you know, your first 
maybe it was your first psychedelic experience was like at a festival with MDMA, that's a really great place to start. Generally speaking, MDMA or even MDA is a really great place because it's fairly gentle. It's heart opening. You know, you, you, you are in awe of the world again, like you were when you were a kid. Things are interesting and loving and happy. And that's such a great way to begin to break through and to shift your perspective a little bit. Um, so I think that that's a great place to start for a lot of people. Um, but, but I, but for, for me, um, you know, the psilocybin is going to continue to teach me lessons. Um, I can, I can, I can count on that for sure. Yeah. I'm obsessed with psilocybin. Definitely my favorite. So when you're doing a macro dose of psilocybin, um, we'll get into set and setting in a bit and how you like to handle that. But what is like a macro dose for you? I pretty much stick to the five dried grams. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've had experiences up to 10 over the course of the day. You know, I have some, some savages that I know that go as high as like 14 in the day, like go really big and really deep. I'm, I'm fairly sensitive, you know, um, intuitively. And so I don't think I need quite as much as, uh, as some folks that, that, um, that really like to really like to go into the deep end. Um, you know, um, I've been, I've been, I've been experimenting more with, um, a technique called lemon tech. Um, some of your listeners might be familiar with this. Essentially it's, you know, um, grinding up, uh, the psilocybin and then soaking it in lemon juice. And what lemon juice does is it begins to almost like pre-digest when it really does kind of pre-digest, uh, the mushroom so that when you drink it, it's faster acting, shorter duration, and as much as double the dose. So, you know, three and a half grams of lemon tech, um, you know, maybe four hours way into the deep end and back, um, kind of soup to nuts, um, journey. Um, so there's, I think there's a time and place for that, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm typically, typically five dried grams and that's with, uh, a strain golden teachers. You know, when you get into penis envy, I sort of go down a little bit, you know, I don't go quite as much, you know, like I've had, I've had five, five dried grams of penis envy and it's, it's just, you know, for me, um, and maybe this is just a story I'm telling myself, but I think it's maybe more than I need, you know, um, you know, I, I fancy myself a responsible guy with podcasts and businesses and kids and coaching clients and so forth. So I think part of me is like, you know, really careful about when I go and fully let, fully let go and go way into the deep end. Um, but I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a five dried grams in, in silent darkness. That's, that's typically the way that I like to do it. I have a, a mindful that I put over my, put over my eyes. The one thing that I don't like that, and I don't blame people for is I, I don't love music. Uh, I don't, I don't like soundtracks, uh, and, and, uh, you know, trip playlists because the music has a tendency to frame your experience and you can, you can find obscure music without lyrics. Um, but if you're three hours in and you start to get some like Gregorian chant, you're going to tap into that. And that's, that's sort of framing your, your experience. And so typically, you know, playing music, I think is wonderful. If you want to bring a drum, uh, you know, I like drumming. Uh, I've got a jaw harp that I love to play. 
uh, harmonica is great because it kind of enhances your sort of the breath work capacity when you're um, um, when you're tripping. But I, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of music in a, in the application when you're doing psychedelics for personal development because you know you can put put together a playlist that has like the Beatles on it, and then the Beatles come on, and then all these memories that you have associated with. John Lennon or being a kid and your parents playing the Beatles, that, that is, that's, that's putting new external information into your experience that, that isn't always beneficial, especially in the beginning two thirds of your experience on the back end, as you're starting to come back down, having some music kind of at the ready at at that point, I think I'm, 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 I'm cool with, and I think is, is useful, but I think that, 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 me as sort of a purist in this capacity is like dark, quiet, and then going in, I think is, is the most productive. And I'm always looking for the ways to be most productive. Like, how is this useful to me? I love the light show. I love the trip, but what is it? How is it making me a better person? And, and so that's, that's always been really important. I'm kind of curious about, about how you think about it. Yeah, it's similar. Um, for sure. I mask is 100% 100% critical. I think that cutting off one of your senses in that way allows you to go completely internal and inside. You know, when you have this external, you know, you start walking outside or whatever, especially on a macro dose. Now, if you're taking one gram or, you know, a micro dose, cool, go canoeing or go walk outside, do whatever you want to do. That's not really like a trip dose. But when I do my macro doses, blindfolds critical, probably the most critical thing that I would say. Whatever else you want to do is up to you with Palo Santo and prayer and intention and all the different things you could get into, which I definitely use because I use that in my combo uh, practitioner training and all of that with the sage and Palo Santo and prayer and uh, intention. So all of that looks a little bit different for everybody. But I love music, specifically one soundtrack, and it's the East Forest soundtrack. Have you played Mm, that? I'm familiar. Yeah, I've heard it. Yeah, that soundtrack when I'm on five grams or maybe seven, I've done seven like twice. I think five is about right. If you have good mushrooms, you can really go there with five. As I went above, it didn't really do much more for me, but it was a little bit more powerful. But I don't feel like I got a lot more out of it. Um, I think five's pretty good, depending on every strand is different, like you said, and depends on how right. good the grower is or wherever they got them from. Some are weaker than others. Um, but yeah, around five grams if they're good. And that East Forest soundtrack, it makes me feel like I'm like talking to angels or something. I have no idea what the the sounds are he has going on with the the people singing in that, but it's it's right on Spotify. I've never everyone no one's ever heard of it. It's on Apple, Spotify. I think it's just called like uh mushroom soundtrack or something for psychedelic practitioners it's like it's meant he he basically crafted it over like thousands of ceremonies i think he does ayahuasca and everything and then he basically put that out for the world for trip setters basically or people who are just like don't need a trip setter like me i don't really always need one now that i've done some i can do one at home if i want to by myself but i love the east forest for me that kind of took my trips to another level in my opinion i just that's Mm. i'm fascinated by it it's all i need it takes me on this most fantastic journey i've ever been on and then i'm good for like a hot minute after that ah interesting yeah so when was um i'm not trying to put on my coach hat i promise but when was the last time that you did a did a did a heroic dose um in silence 
I don't know if I ever have. I think, well, I think one time I did and it was like early on. That was probably like four or five years ago. I found myself um, literally sitting on the balcony of my apartment. I had just moved down to Tampa from Michigan and this is like what's kind of cracked open my whole atheist thing. I was like holding on to like this, you know, my wife, we were getting into yoga and everything and I had like a crystal necklace on and I was still kind of atheist. I would say like the universe or source, but I didn't really like say God or anything. I was still kind of like on the fence about it all. And I found myself like rocking back and forth on the balcony holding this crystal and it was a giant thunderstorm. I lived right on the bay and there was a giant thunderstorm and I just found myself like talking to God and asking for guidance and all this crazy shit. It kind of cracked me open. So that was the one time in silence and it actually was pretty profound. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, it would be interesting for you to kind of go back to that because your, your transformation that you've been on over the last four or five years is tremendous. And you know, you know, a lot more, you've seen a lot more, you've experienced a lot more, you've touched so many more people. I think it would be interesting to do that again and kind of see, um, see what that's like to see what comes up. Um, again, I'm not trying to tell you your business, but you know, (laughs) it would be, I think, I think you would probably, um, you would probably learn quite a lot about where you are, what you, you know, how you're thinking, what's go, what, what comes next, what you're building toward, um, by doing, you know, doing it in silence, maybe even earplugs, like in the dark, um, laid out on your bed, you know? Pardon the interruption. I want to take a quick break to talk about gut health. With all the research coming out over the last decade, we know exactly how important the gut microbiome actually is for our overall health. If you're anything like me, then you have struggled with tons and tons of gut issues. I grew up on a lot of different antibiotics. As I got older, I did a lot of partying, drugs, alcohol, standard American diet, yada, yada, yada. Fast forward, I had chronic mold toxicity in line. After that, I really couldn't get my gut to function properly. I spent tons and tons of money on different kefirs, yogurts, probiotics, different things that really didn't seem to work. That is until I found Just Thrive. It's a 100% spore-based probiotic that arrives 100% alive in your gut for maximum impact. It has a thousand times better survivability versus other leading probiotics. It helps support digestive, immune, and total body health. For me, it really helped to beat bloating, gas, constipation, and diarrhea and it is even clinically proven to address leaky gut in just 30 days. So what I do is I take two caps with my largest meal and it really helps to improve nutrient absorption as well. And they are backed by a 100% money back guarantee. So for if any reason it doesn't work for you, no questions asked, you can get a refund. If you wanna try out Just Thrive Spore-Based Probiotics, go over to Just Thrive Health and use code ITP15 for 15% off at the checkout. If you're anything like me in the health and optimization space, you're not only looking for which supplements may make you feel optimal, but also different technologies. The problem with most technologies on the market is they can really burn a hole in your pocket. If you are looking for the most affordable, but yet yet highly effective technologies that help promote detoxification, better sleep, mitochondria function, immune function, look no further than Therasage. I have their portable infrared sauna and I am willing to put that sauna against any other sauna on the market. It heats up quickly. I get an amazing sweat. I've been in some of these really, really expensive saunas and I prefer my Therasage sauna. 
The new addition that I have in my home is the Therasage PEMF mat. This is a game changer. A lot of people who are dealing with chronic illness and autoimmune conditions could really benefit for at-home PEMF. When you're trying to do PEMF out at a clinic, it can charge like 30, 60, sometimes $100 per session. Therasage has just dropped the most affordable PEMF mat on the market. You can use it daily. It has a TENS mat. It has red light. It's a heating pad. My wife is absolutely obsessed with this thing. It has just brought more energy, mental clarity, and all around overall well-being. I gave up my morning meditation recently and just started laying on the PEMF mat. It's such a great addition to have that with the sauna. The PEMF will help you to release a lot of the toxins and then you can sweat those out via the sauna and you will just feel rejuvenated. So if you wanna try out any of the Therasage products, you can use the code Kaufman10. I will link to their website in the show notes. They have the most amazing affordable technology biohacks on the planet. Yeah, I'll take it from you. You've done enough experiences. So, you know, it's nothing to just uh, try one out for. I haven't done one in quite a while. I'm actually, my next trip, I don't know if you ever play with this, is actually going to be a, a high dose Amanita. I've been microdosing Amanita muscaria. Have you played with that really? at all? Uh, I've, I've tried it twice with no effect. So I've, yeah, I've not, not so had success. Dosing with it. matters. There's a guy, I can connect you with the guy. You should chat with him. He makes these Sweet. tinctures. So they're, um, basically, you know, Amanita, you usually have to boil it for 30 minutes, you know, make, cause it's got some toxic compounds in there and uh, it's legal by the way, you can just order it online because what, what happened there is basically psilocybin is scheduled as illegal, but Amanita muscaria is, I think it's called Musimol or something. It's a different compound that actually right. is psychoactive. So they would have to basically classify that. And they kind of, I don't think they really look at it too much because people can't just pick it and eat it. They have to go get the toxic compounds out. So it's basically less used. But this guy, uh, he's got a cool uh, product where he makes it already in like a little tincture with um, like pine resin. That's all that's in it. So you can just basically microdose it. And what I didn't know is um, a lot of times, like my buddy had these capsules before and there was only like 0.2 or 0.4 in there, but a microdose of Amanita is between one and five grams. Oh. So actually, you got to go up a little bit. Then what he, like Amanita something, like I usually don't microdose like multiple days in a row. Like I'll microdose one day and then maybe like three or four days later, I microdose, like I kind of give it a break. Um, but Amanita kind of builds up in your system. So the first couple of days, you might not have too many effects. And then after that, you do it. And it's something that you do at night, which I've been enjoying because you can kind of just like when I'm taking my magnesium and my like sleep supplements, I can kind of just do the microdose of Amanita. And mm. I've having these wild dreams. Like I feel like my mood's better the next day. Um, kind of got a little bit more energy, have some bizarre dreams that are kind of like almost like you're processing something. So it's been cool, but I'm going to actually um, do a bigger dose, like a trip dose, which basically you go to bed. So I've been talking to this guy. You you fall asleep. So you're, you're basically, your body's non-existent, which is kind of a cool theory to me because sometimes you can overpower the mushrooms if you want to, right? Like you can get up, you can go to the bathroom, you can do this. But apparently you're just knocked out on the Amanita and you're just like in dreamland. And then you just, so you do it at nighttime, you're knocked out Whoa. dreamland style. And then you wake up in the morning after having a nighttime of a psychedelic experience. So that's going to be cool to play around with. And I've never yeah. done that. Microdoses have been dope. They kind of just make me calm. 
but the dream state has been very visual and it's almost been really therapeutic. So I think Amanita is really cool because you don't really have to take time out of your day. You're, you just do your day all normal, play with it at night. You get better sleep. It works on the GABA receptors, I believe, too. So you just get a little bit calmer as well. But mm. that's a new thing I've been playing around with. You should, uh, cool. I should link you up with the guy. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd be super interested in that. that. I mean, it does sound like the uh, the origin of the, you know, it's Santa Claus coming down the chimney at night you know, with the, with the fly agaric, with the Amanita muscaria and putting it, putting it in your, putting it in your yurt, hanging it up in your trees in the, in the evening time, like Santa Claus. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. yeah I the Amanitas, um, they also have to all be foraged wildly. You can't grow them. Um, something right. to do with it. They grow on like pine cones or something, if I'm not mistaken. So you can't yeah. just get it like uh, grown from a buddy down the street. They're going to all be like hand foraged wild Amanitas, which is cool too. They're, they're really common up here in the Northwest. Um, mm-hmm. and it's about now for the next month or so I'll start to see them and they, yeah, they all grow underneath, uh, conifers. Um, there's, uh, they're everywhere. They're, they're, they're everywhere. Um, when, uh, there's and and once you they kind of they're 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 per, uh, perennial or annual <coughs> and so they uh, perennial so they they grow in the same spots every year um, and there's a couple of cool spots and different hikes and stuff around around here in Seattle where I can go and like and check them out I'm not I'm not I don't think I'm in the game of trying to make my own you know <laughs> make my own tinctures I don't think that's my game but um, yeah it's a beautiful incredible mushroom for sure yeah the 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 look of it is just appealing in general you think about like super mario and stuff so i've been digging the micro doses and um so i'm gonna play around with that a little bit more especially the tincture i probably wouldn't do it regularly if i had to boil it for 30 minutes every time but the way he's like extracted that toxic compound out so you can just do two three four five grams and get that micro dose that i think most people can dig that but Probably limited supply. Maybe I shouldn't connect everybody with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just tell me. Don't tell everybody else. <laughs> so I've been like connecting them with a couple of people and I'm starting to think, man, maybe I better get a couple bottles before it runs <laughs> out. <laughs> Super funny, man. That's cool. But yeah. Um, how would you recommend people get started into psychedelics? You think it's like a micro dose? Should they do some research? What's your like usual response if someone's came to you and they've never tried anything? Yeah. You know, again, like I think that MDMA is probably a really great starting point for lots of people. You know, um, what, what a lot of people do is they'll go and read trip reports. You know, people are, I mean, psilocybin's everywhere now. I mean, for you and I, it's pretty core obviously, but for, for most people, they're just starting to understand, you know, the benefits and it's, you know, it's made its way into popular culture and, you know, so I think people are, are really kind of becoming more aware, especially of psilocybin, um, but psychedelics in general. This is part of the, the you know this third wave of psychedelic resurgency. But I, I would I, most of the time MDMA is the best place to start. And again, like I said before, it's 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 gentle enough that you don't feel like you are going to lose control but strong enough that you are definitely feeling an effect and the effect is one of awe and joy and peace and love. It's especially great for relationships. You know, uh, if, if you're feeling disconnected with your lover, 
um, even your brother, you know, to, to, to set up, you know, again, to have the right set and setting and, and awareness of what you're doing. That's a really, really good place to start because, um, because it's just enough. It's kind of just right. You know, um, a lot of people can go to, you know, Arrowhead and read a thousand trip reports of all the different substances that, uh, that, that people have reported on, you know, DMT vape pens or salvia divinorum and, and go down that rabbit hole and kind of freak themselves out, you know, and, and I don't think that that's necessary. I don't think that you need to necessarily be an expert, uh, in the compound that, that you're interested in. You, you really don't need to be an expert in psychedelics or have that much knowledge of it. You need to know the risks, you know, you need to know, um, you know, what you're getting into, but it's, in my opinion, obviously I think it's best to know an expert rather than to try to be an expert before your first trip. So, you know, whatever that set and setting is, however that's structured going into that first experience, um, can, can be really key. And then I think from there, you know, after, after MDMA, you know, psilocybin is, is a, is a great, you know, next step. LSD is a great next step. Um, um, you know, I think it's probably worth mentioning right now, uh, the, the impact that ketamine is having, um, on the industry and on, and on people, you know, um, ketamine, have you done ketamine podcasts already? I've talked a little bit about it um, with uh, Dr. Jeremy Stitch. I don't know if you know who that is. He's like mm-hmm. one of the founders of Wild Health. I haven't even released that episode yet, but uh, he's got some new biohacks called the Immortal. I don't know if you've ever seen the Immortal bed. It's like this $150,000 bed. They were at the biohacking conference and I linked up with them. But uh, Jeremy Stitch is a really smart guy. Wild Health is like one of the more advanced. Um, they're down in Kentucky. They have this giant facility where they do like what they call precision medicine, but he was actually telling me um, he might be able to get me some sublinguals. And there's a guy near me who I'm supposed to actually go do some ketamine IVs, who he has you on like a frequency vibration bed while you're doing it during the mm-hmm. journey. So I'm supposed to, I just kind of been busy the past few months, but I'm supposed to get out there and try a few of those and then have him on a show. But I haven't done a full episode on it now. Yeah. Ketamine is legal and there are clinics all over the place. And there's also some telemedicine set up, um, where you can, you know, mind bloom is, is the one that's jumping to mind. Dylan Bynan, I did an, an episode with him where you can meet up and work with, um, with a therapist who can then prescribe you ketamine that you take at home. And ketamine is different. Um, it's legal. So a lot of people who are interested in psychedelic commerce are starting with ketamine clinics where you can go and either do the IV or the sublingual. And ketamine is different because it's a disassociative. So it's not, it's not, uh, it's not technically a psychedelic, but what disassociatives are is that they, they essentially kind of disassociate you from your shit. You know, uh, the stories that you tell yourself this, again, this default mode network, it plays upon that. And, what I've found is that you, it can be massively powerful, especially for anxiety and depression, especially for anxiety and depression. So if you've been depressive for a long time, ketamine might be a great place to start. It's, you know, it's, there's, there's clinical applications, so it's a, different, it's a different kind of animal unto itself. But it can be massively powerful. It can be transformational to, to sort of knock the cobwebs off a little bit and help you, um, you know, sort of work through some of some of your anxiety or depression. 
it's also accessible and legal. So, you know, whether you're doing it um, at a clinic somewhere or you're doing, um, you know, you're doing the tele telehealth version, that can be really powerful. So I think, <clears throat> but, uh, but here I, I will tell a story. So I was working with a guy um, who came out to work with me to do, um, you know, one of my, one of my um, experiences up here in the Northwest. And he'd been experiencing depression for, the better part of 10 years, you know, like really, really productive guy, you know, really good person, business person, family man. Um, but he was, you know, kind of getting, getting on in age and, um, he went and did ketamine and it was like not effective at all for him. Um, he, it didn't really click. He, the therapist that he was working with, he didn't feel like was actually listening to him or connecting with him in any meaningful way. And I think that he got kind of, um, he got kind of stymied by bad processes at this ketamine clinic, actually in Florida. Um, and so he came out to me to do our work together, um, feeling pretty downtrodden, feeling pretty even more depressed than he did because he was hoping ketamine was going to have a major impact on him. And so when he came out to work with me, he was not in a good headspace. He had, you know, finished the, I think it was a six week or eight week, you know, um, ketamine process. And he's like, it didn't really help. I don't feel any better. And, and I said, okay, well, we're, we're, what we're doing is a lot different than ketamine. We're going to start with, um, we're going to start with mushrooms. And so we did, um, um, you know, uh, a psilocybin experience and you could tell by about hour four that he had processed all of this stuff, not all the stuff, but he had processed a bunch of the stories that he had been telling himself and was starting to actually look forward to his life, which he said he hadn't been doing in, in like 10 years. So in that one experience, in that first experience that we did, he had self-therapized you know, he had worked through his own stuff in a really productive way, smart guy, capable guy, challenged himself, went into some deep, dark places, came through that sort of dark night of the soul, came, you know, slayed the dragon, you know, again, in the dark with a blunt, with a mindfold on in the quiet. And as hour four came through, he's like, I, I figured a lot of stuff out, Sean. And I said, that's great. That's great. And he said, I, I, I want to talk about it. And I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it, but I, you know, I, you're not quite done yet. And he's like, okay, okay. And then kind of went back into it and dove, dove even deeper. Um, an hour later, he kind of, kind of comes back and, you know, calls to me and I come, you know, come to sit with him, give him a drink of water, kind of sit with him for a second. And he's like, I found out even more. Like I, I've, it's clicking. Everything is clicking for me. Like I, 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 I got a whole bunch of stuff to do. And I was like, okay, great. So then, you know, as part of the integration, we went for a walk in the woods afterward as he was kind of coming down off of his trip. And, and he said to me, I am capable of healing myself. And I was like, okay. And he's like, I'm capable of building a life for myself that I, I can look forward to. And I was like, all right. And then he starts, he starts like basically painting this entire mural of his life and explains to me that he had gone through 
a bunch of darkness, a bunch of trauma, a bunch of self-limiting belief, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of stuff about his sort of physical body that he had been working on in the first couple hours, in the first four hours. And in the next hour and a half was starting to build his life forward. And so that's just one, you know, one little anecdotal story of somebody that, that, that had never done that before. Ketamine didn't work for him or, you know, and, and that could be for a couple of different reasons, but you know, he left, he got on a plane and headed back home with vision and optimism, you know, having, you know, dealt with some of the baddies that were plaguing him and bringing him down and making him feel like shit. And since then he's like super happy and productive. His life is simpler. He's healthier. He's eating better. He's a better relationship with his kids. Like it's a pretty profound uh, a, a pr pretty profound experience. And so, you know, going back to the original question is where should people start? I think that, I think it kind of depends on what you're after. It depends on what you're looking for. If you need to process trauma or fight depression, you know, ketamine might be the good and legal, legal way to do that. If you, um, if you need to absolutely like wipe the slate clean, you know, DMT or 5-MeO DMT might be the ticket for you to just totally lay down some new new ski tracks to like absolutely ch shift the trajectory of your consciousness um but but you know typically speaking i think mdma is a great uh, great place to start and then going into those those other ones and here's the other thing too there is i i think a very important distinction between working with psychedelics for personal development and working with plant medicines to process trauma. And what the work that I do is non-indigenous, right? So like I'm not trained as a, you know, an ayahuasca shaman, a, a, a curandero or ayahuascaro. Um, that's, that's not what I do. Some people who maybe have a sickness of the soul would benefit greatly from doing ayahuasca with an indigenous uh, within a trained indigenous person or, or a person that comes from an indigenous lineage because it's, it's hosted and guided. And that's a lot different than mushrooms in the woods with Sean, right? Um, I'm not calling on plant medicine or mama ayahuasca um, in an indigenous lineage to help you, you know, cure your soul sickness there are other people that that are qualified to do that, so I think you got to ask yourself, what do I? What's what's my shit? What is what is really going on for me? What am I interested in doing? What do I want to get out of this? What's my intention with this? And then begin to explore the different you know the different options. Yeah, that makes total sense. Definitely, each one has their own benefits. And do you ever recommend kind of like? feeling out a microdose, kind of just to see where, where that leads a little bit. I feel like I always tell people like, you know, just start with a microdose, do that for a month or two before you even have an experience, see how that shifts you a little bit. Cause you're like, not, it's going to be nothing to prepare you all the way for five grams, but at least you get a little bit of a feeling of how your mood shifts, how your state shifts. So I usually recommend at least trying some microdoses at least before getting into it. And also I like to recommend, um, it's kind of some of the stuff we were talking about earlier, like figure out your breathing, like your breathing pattern with the meditation or with breath work, 
try out some of that shit before you go in because mm-hmm. when that experience comes full send, you're really going to want to be able to rely on the, that breath to kind of yeah. bring you back and say, okay, this shit is not real. This, I need to be able to navigate this situation. And if you are just like panicking and you don't have that breath to kind of anchor you in, it can be a lot more challenging than if you do have control of your breath. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, that's that's really great, really great advice. Uh, you know, similarly to the way that you prepare for an ayahuasca ceremony is you diet beforehand, you know, at least a week, preferably two weeks of no salt, no pork, no sex, no garlic, no spices. And what that does is sort of purifies and cleanses you, your, your physical body a little bit. And, and the reason it, no cannabis, no alcohol, because those powerful substances um, or powerful garlic or, you know, turmeric can actually disrupt your experience. And a couple of things can happen is, you know, ayahuasca can, can not show you the things that you want to see because you didn't adhere to the preparation. The opposite can happen. Ayahuasca could kick your ass because you were a bad boy and you had sex and watched porn, you know, for the week leading up and you had some alcohol and cannabis and it's like, well, you didn't take this seriously. I'm going to knock your dick in the dirt and you're going to, you're going to regret that you didn't stick to the diet preparation beforehand. Um, so in a similar way, you know, I require people who are working with me to take, take at least a week, strongly suggest two weeks no social media, drastically minimize sugar intake, no alcohol, no cannabis, no sex. Um, garlic is not that big of a deal in my book, you know, when it comes to, you know, the work that I do, but to like prepare yourself and yeah, breath work is super, super important as well to have that tool so that when it's, when you, when you find yourself kind of, <laughs> oh God, oh God, oh God, you know, like you can, breathe through it. Yeah. It can be a massive tool. Um, I tend to disagree with you on the microdosing beforehand. And, and the reason is, is because I, you know, maybe I've just read too much Terrence McKenna and seen too many lectures, but I feel like it's, um, it, it, it can have the effect of, um, creating an experience that is not quite what you're there for. Meaning, if you begin to understand psilocybin in a microdose or mini dose, then then that can that's going to frame your relationship with it and frame your experience. Like, well, it's kind of like this or kind of like that, and you know, I you know, I uh, made me focus better at work, and you know, made me want to play with my kids more, maybe made me more present with my with my loved ones. And, and so I, again, I, maybe it's my sort of conditioning, but I tend to think like go big first, create, create that powerful bond, that powerful experience, and then experiment with, with microdosing, but really it's mini dosing. And there is a distinction there kind of on the tail end to continue during that integration time. So yeah, that's how I think about it. Yeah, I guess I could definitely go both ways because you're like, okay, I kind of know how this feels. I took a half a gram one day and, you know, which is more than a microdose, but to see how it feels before I go into this uh, set and setting with somebody who's going to really take, you know, take me there with the five grams. And it it definitely is different, but I just want 
some people like might even freak out over like a point two. They feel spacey. They get a little, you know, it's supposed to be anti-anxiety, but then when they're not in control and, you know, mushrooms can kind of bring up some emotional stuff, even at low doses, people can kind of freak out. And uh, kind of speaking of freaking out, I wanted to ask, like, have you ever had any like really challenging experiences where it made it like kind of hard to come back to society? Because that's another part I feel like we always glamorize, like the guy you talked about, right? That sounded beautiful. He worked through a lot of his trauma. He was thinking about his future. He has turned into a visionary, he probably went back and was a better family man. And I've had mostly positive experiences myself. Um, I've never had anything that kind of turned me into where I was like, I'm not going to go do any work. I'm going to go live in the woods. Like I haven't really had any of that for sure. Not to say that all the experiences were easy. You go through challenges, but none of them ever rocked the boat enough where I was like, couldn't come back into society. Have you had any uh, challenges like that? The, the, um, me personally, no. Um, and I, and I, I believe that the reason that I haven't had those experiences personally is because I have worked very hard on myself outside of the psychedelic experiences that I've, that I've been on. Um, um, you know, part of that is, um, part of that is I've, I've just been, um, I've, I've made, I've made it, uh, hugely important for me to be intentional in all that I do. Um, you know, another, another sort of interesting sort of point about my sort of trajectory into psychedelia is that I, I've been with the same woman since I was 15. I met my soulmate at 15 years old. And so I have won everything like my wife, um, um, you know, we just celebrated 26 years together and my wife and I, um, have such a strong bond. We started businesses together. We've you know, raised kids and lived, you know, this life that I have not had to deal with. Not, I mean, again, it's, this is just my story. I've, I've not had to deal with sort of sexual deviancy, um, or chase and tail or, you know, the sort of like, um, the sort of pitfalls that come along with those more sort of like red root chakra primal urges. And I, however that sounds, I don't know, but it's not, it's not a part of my reality. You know, I'm sort of a Pollyanna Namby Pammy in that way that I, I've had one woman my whole life. And so in that way, that is a big, it's a big part of, of, of people's sort of reality is like their sexual partners their sexual experiences that are massively energetically impactful. Every time that you have sex with someone, there is an energetic exchange. Now, whether that's drunk or sober or high or frequently or infrequently, there is an energetic exchange there. And so, and I don't think a lot of people really think about that. You, that person's still with you and you're still with that person. And so in that way, I, because that has not been a part of my life or part of my you know, how I can, what I'm concerned about literally my whole life, I've been kind of together, you know, sort of organized and, and intentional. So I have not had personal experiences where I am turned so inside out that I don't know what to do with myself or I don't, I can't go back to being, you know, a dad or can't go back to being, you know, who I was before. That said, I have had experiences, especially in ayahuasca, where I've sat with people whose reality is shooken so hard that they don't know which way is up. Um, I've had experiences like, you know, 
sitting outside in the rain with someone who is is having borderline like psychotic break and is so scared of what they're seeing in their ayahuasca experience that they can't confront it, that they can't go back into the maloca to finish what they started. And there are certain protocols to follow for people like that who are like, I am so twisted up. I don't know which way is up anymore. You know, minerals, I know you're a mineral fan. Minerals are a really powerful way to ground back down into reality. You know, that's why you don't eat salt or any sort of mineral um, for the two weeks before an ayahuasca ceremony because it's so grounding. And um, I've had, you know, lots of experience with anyway. So I've had, I've, I've had experiences sitting with people as, um, um, as an assistant in ayahuasca ceremonies where they, they're mentally like something shifted so dramatically that that's hard for them to come back. Having skilled and certifications in coaching, you know, having, uh, experience with, you know, some sort of spiritual, um, associations that can help people kind of, um, make sense of what they're going through, um, to help them get back into the Maloka to be to like finish what they started can be really powerful. But yeah, I mean, there are some, there are some studies and some research that suggests like if you're on SSRIs might not be a great idea to go dip into psychedelia. You know, if you are, um, if you have psychosis in your family and you have people that have some, some, some mental issues, um, in your, you know, in, in your, in your family, you have to be really, really careful with, with how you're doing this type of work because it can, it can be really disorienting the support and follow-up and integration is what helps all of that. You know, that guy that I sat with outside in the rain for three hours in the dark eventually decided to stay, went back in the next night and got like a big warm hug from the universe some, some care and some love, you know, the plant medicines like said, Hey, kind of, Hey, we went a little, we went hard last night. We're going to just love you now. You're okay. You're going to be okay. Even if you're not okay, it's going to be okay. Kind of a, kind of a vibe where they could, where this guy specifically could like make begin to put the pieces back together. You know, I followed up with him afterward and he needed it. He needed it. He had been so up in his head for such a long time. Again, this guy is highly successful, highly driven. Again, I'm not the shaman here. This was a, you know, these were shaman that I was assisting in this ceremony. Um, but this guy was, you know, highly successful, highly driven, type A, you know, extrovert, like super smart. And he got his friggin' brain shattered and um, needed that hug in that third night to kind of like be told, you know, todo está bien, you know, it's all good, man. You'll be okay. You know, this, this, so for people who are listening who are like, you know, is this right for me? You know, is this going to be too much? 
the preparation beforehand is really critical and making sure that there's some sort of coaching or integration work afterward to begin to kind of um, integrate all of that stuff. And there may be generations of stuff that you're confronted with in your second shot of ayahuasca on night two that you were not expecting. And uh, that was the case for this guy. Um, and um, how he integrates back in was is is how and he's still working on it you know he's still he's still doing he's still working with plant medicines he's now a huge advocate for it but that guy yeah that guy had a rough one for sure yeah i just yeah i know i've I've never experienced it myself i've just like heard about it as i do research and listen to a lot of psychedelic podcasts so i know there's definitely the potentiality that you'll kind of be it's it is earth shattering so there's got to be some way to bring it back in i know you talked about minerals like would you kind of recommend like after having a weekend or a week of doing a lot of this that you need to kind of get some supplementation back in maybe it's magnesium or you know get something you know maybe get some red meat back in i I find red meat very grounding so that would be like something that i would think like you know a lot of people go to the experience they're a little bit vegetarian but i would say like Red meat, some some grounding foods, you know, some minerals. I don't know if it's CBD, like something to come off the back end that'll kind of maybe hopefully bring you back into the 3D realm. Do you have any like specifics? Critical, critical stuff. Yeah, I mean there there's a number of there's a number of supplements that I that I turn to um, when when I'm working with people, you know, who fly out to work with me. We're doing uh, we're doing supplements throughout. So you know, there's there's actually two really powerful products that I love. One is called Serotonin Brain Food from Natural Stacks. Natural, I know the guys from Natural Stacks, they're from Seattle. Um, this, this is the most effective supplement for when you are doing psychedelic experiences. Um, it, 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 will, it enhances your serotonin production and it mimics you know, like recovery IVs, uh, drips or pushes that you would go do at like a, you know, like a, you know, mastermind or a workshop or something that some, some people do. Uh, but serotonin brain food is like, not only is it great if you are feeling a little bit in the melancholies, which people do, but it is a, an incredibly, incredibly useful tool for like, even after your trip concludes, whatever the sort of substances, whatever the psychedelic is that you're using is to try, is to, is to take serotonin brain food, like right after, as you're coming down, it rounds the edge off. It makes the sort of come down and integration smoother. So that, that one is massively powerful. Um, the other one, so the, the other, com- the other products from natural, so I'm looking back here cause you can see all my supplements and stuff back there. <laughs> The, the other ones that are really powerful, there's a dopamine brain food, uh, also from Natural Stacks. They also make a GABA and acetylcholine brain food. Uh, you talked about GABA earlier, and that's what's released when you drink alcohol, which is like pumping the brakes. Um, so the, depending on – so you, anybody that's curious about their own neurotransmitters can go take what's called the Braverman test. And what the Braverman test does is it's a questionnaire. It's a really long questionnaire that helps determine what your predominant or dominant neurotransmitters are and what you're deficient in. So you can take this giant, this giant test and it will say, Hey, you're acetylcholine dominant and serotonin deficient. 
And so you can take these supplements to kind of, um, to, to enhance your neurotransmitters for the state, for the level of performance that you're after. Um, the other, the other products that I really like, um, yeah, I, I am a big fan of CBD, uh, especially, uh, especially after serum, uh, after psychedelics, um, not with ayahuasca because the, um, ayahuasca as a sentient, you know, vine of souls, this, this feminine teacher goddess, she doesn't like cannabis. Her and cannabis don't get along. Um, cannabis is a master plant. It has all these incredible healing benefits, but it can kind of screw with your integration afterward. But when it comes to um, MDMA, psilocybin, even DMT, the especially if you're a pot smoker, if you if cannabis agrees with you and you've been using it for a while, a really high quality CBD. Um, my favorite CBD products in the world are from a company called Met Naturals. They're really strong and really clean uh, tinctures and rubs and salves and stuff like that. Um, um, and then, but as far as you know. Um, supplements, going back to some of the supplements that are just good for your body and your brain overall, like minerals, um, like, you know, especially, especially salt or magnesium, again, to ground you down, you want to kind of ease into it because if you have a big experience, either working with me or going and, you know, work with ayahuasca, um, I don't know. I'd be curious. I want to hear your response on how, on how it pertains to combo. But if you go from boom, you had your coconut opened and you're, you know, you talk to God and you healed ancestral trauma. And then the next day you take a big dose of magnesium. It can kind of like, boom, it can kind of stop that integration. It can kind of be a hard stop to ground you too fast. So you can't like, really integrate it into your life and your lifestyle, it can kind of like halt that experience in, in a kind of a jarring way. So, you know, you want to kind of ease into some of that stuff. But um, yeah, I, I, yeah, red meat, super grounding. You know, again, if you, if you want to elongate the effect, if you want to get the most out of it and you want the integration to be effective, I would stick with, you know, minimal amounts of minerals. I would, I would stick with fish and raw vegetables. If you're like, man, I just need to get back to reality. Then I, by all means, you know, have a, have a ribeye and some, you know, and some magnesium and, and you'll, you'll bounce back real fast. What, what's it like for combo? Uh, combo's a little bit different. It doesn't, you know, rattle you so much. The experience isn't so stressful, I would say, on the system. It feels stressful. I don't know. You've, you've probably done it, I'm assuming. Actually, but, haven't. Um, I haven't. Oh, you haven't done it? Oh, no. Okay. Um, but either way, it's, it's not as, it's not a five hour thing. It's not working on neurotransmitters. It's actually just providing your lymphatic system with all these bioactive peptides. So it's kind of building you up. But obviously while it's doing that, it raises the heart rate and it kills off a lot of like parasites and bacteria and things. So when it comes to supplement stacks with combo, I'm just trying to make sure they're not feeling the kind of uh, Herxheimer reactions that are caused from moving everything around. Like you're going to get a bunch of it out in the bile and you're going to use the bathroom. 
but that doesn't mean everything comes out. You still killed off a lot of stuff and the peptides are in your body for, you know, around up to 30 days, we think. So it's, it, you know, it's in there still killing off bacteria and yeast and candida. So I'm looking more for just like detox support for them. And there's no diet or diet really for that. Um, so, you know, things like whatever kind of charcoal binders, clay, I like a, a zeolite powder called zeocharge. And um, also maybe something like, glutathione or NAC, something to kind of help the liver out, you know, anything that's like liver support or that's going to mop up those toxins. That's more so what I'm looking for with combo for sure, because most of the times the kind of fatigue and the headache that comes from combo, I believe is mostly just your like liver and kidneys processing more of the stuff that you moved around because ah. the experience is like 20 minutes. And yeah, maybe you want to take a nap. I, I usually always take a nap after combo. Like you kind of get this heart racing, you're moving around a lot. And, you know, I come from a Lyme disease background, so maybe I had some more to work through than others. But yeah, I'm just more so looking for detox support. I actually, I'll say this caveat. I have people who will come to me before their ayahuasca ceremonies and they want to do combo to kind of cleanse everything out before they go into them ceremonies. And I always have this trouble. I can't basically tell them what to do, but I don't like them being low sodium and coming into a combo ceremony because you're going to be drinking two liters of water in 10 minutes before the ceremony. And what I want is I want that sodium in there because if you drink too much water, that's why you want a trained practitioner when it comes to combo anyways, because there's the guidelines around water are where most of the experiences that have been fatal come from. If, if I give you more water and then you're not purging and I say, just keep drinking water, just keep drinking water, trying to force it out. Well, at some point you're going to cause hyponatremia. So the electrolyte balance is going to fuck up and this, you know, it's going to go into your brain and then you're going to have messed up sodium levels because you're just chugging so much water so fast. So I, you know, if you're not purging, I'm not going to give you more water. And then once you purge out some of that water and if you're having trouble, then I can give you a little bit more. But there's strict guidelines around that if you're with a trained practitioner. So if someone hasn't ate salt in two weeks and then I'm giving them the two liters of water in 10 minutes, it can... I could be following the guidelines down to a T, but since they haven't had a piece of salt in two weeks, then that could really mess things up. So I don't know how that affects the ayahuasca ceremony, but I try to tell them, hey, if you're going to try to work with me, I recommend, you know, follow the dieta, but have some salt or at least have some salt the morning of the combo, you know, before mm. you drink this water. Or let me give you some electrolytes. But it's just a, so it's, a, you know, I learned that from one of my like mentors in the combo space because she's big in the uh, psychedelics and plant medicine world. And she's like, you don't want that. You know, we kind of recommend like if someone when we were doing like a lot of sessions and training like day after day or we even did three and three hours, that was like an initiation. So like you purge, you lay there and then you wake up like 10 minutes later, put another dose on like it was just back to back to back. Um, she was putting mineral drops in every single water that we were drinking because we were doing so much so fast. Huh. So we were kind of utilizing minerals. So it's it's hard because what you're saying is the what the shaman wants. But I, I also am like, hey, if you're trying to do the combo and that, you're going to have to give and take a little bit with the sodium. And uh, I don't know if they're even being truthful to me. Honestly, they might just come over no sodium in their system. I can't really tell. So mm. it's kind of a back and forth with me. Like for my safety, I wonder like, is this person even had salt in two weeks? I don't know. And I only have like one lady who does that quite often, like quarterly, but I try to tell them like, Hey, 
You do need sodium for combo, so I don't know if that's going to mess with your ayahuasca ceremony or not. Maybe you should do it after, or I don't know. But a lot of them, they like to open the open their weekend with a combo ceremony, kind of purge out some toxins, and then do the ayahuasca all weekend. So, mm. but yeah, I'm mostly focusing on detox support. Awesome, that's super interesting. Yeah, in my mind, I think that 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 there there might be some a little bit of a discrepancy between the no no salt before before sitting with ayahuasca versus needing the salt for combo i think that that's super interesting there must be somebody's probably done some research there um but maybe not maybe you're the guy maybe you're the guy to get the the anecdotal evidence on it because that's yeah that's really that's an interesting dynamic yeah, it's my friend Caitlin, who's uh, I've had on the show. She's like one of the most advanced combo practitioners, I think, like in the world. And she's the one like leading the charge on doing research papers around it since obviously these a lot of the so now psychedelics are getting funding because a lot of people know they can make money off of them. But not a lot of people are going to be making money off a of combo because it's not like a. Uh, product that you are going to just microdose or take on the weekends. Like it's going to, it's a whole ceremony that you're only going to do once every few months. It's not a, you know, not a money bag, money grab. So they're not going to have really much research. So she's kind of getting some funding and working with, a, a, I think, I can't remember what, San Diego University or something uh, where she's kind of leading the charge on doing some white papers. And she was the one that told me like, listen, if they're doing the ayahuasca thing, you might want to make sure they're doing some salt because that's going to come back on you if something happens. You know, and that's the only time we really see deaths is with that, you know, the water intake because you can really mess people up and they'll have to get rushed to the hospital. And if it's too late or or you're scared to call, you know, because you're like, oh, shit, like this, something's going wrong. So that's a tricky kind of thing where you almost have to use some discernment and maybe say, I, I don't really feel comfortable working with you, maybe, you know, just because yeah. it's going to fall back on me. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. I just learned a whole bunch right there. Yeah. Cool. Uh, have you ever tried ketones before a, uh, a ceremony or dropping into ketosis? Yeah, I have. Uh, I like it. Um, not everybody likes it though. Uh, I, I, I really enjoy it. I mean, I've got, you know, ketone, <clears throat> ketone IQ is I think the, you know, sort of the go-to for a lot of people. Um, I, I like it a lot. I like the cognitive benefit. I like the energy benefit. Um, you know, clean burning fuel, but it's not – it doesn't work for everybody. Uh, I've had a couple of instances where, um, you know, I've given it to people and then they start to cramp, um, especially if we're in the woods and walking around or hiking. Um, so I don't know – I don't – I can just speak for myself that I really enjoy it and that I've found that I'm much more um, – much more – I don't know, much more, but alert – and and focused and and I feel like the experience has um, it's a bit more driven. It's a bit more uh, I don't know productive even to a certain extent. I don't do it every time, but I I've had some success with it and I enjoy it. But you know um, I, I don't I don't think it's for everybody. Have you have you tried it? So I haven't done the. I'm talking about I don't know if you. Uh, I'm talking about specifically before ceremony. Yeah. So with the ketones. Yeah. So I haven't done the ketone esters, but what I did do was drop down into like deep ketosis. I cut the carbs like the week of, and then I did like a uh, big dose of like uh, brain octane oil, like the morning of to kind of get the ketone spike. And uh, I took mushrooms and I was like, that was 
fucking amazing i thought like it was way more visual it felt like i don't know if it was because i was in ketosis and it's like how that works on like uh inflammatory pathways in the brain like i felt like i came back smoother like it lasted longer like i felt great when i did i only did it one time but i'd heard like on a podcast like oh you can drop into ketosis or use ketones and i was like whatever i already got some brain octane here i'll just like cut the carbs for like four or five days before get into ketosis and um, I don't really do ketosis anymore. I like my carbs, but, um, I, uh, I had a great experience doing that. So I don't know. I was figured you might've tried that out for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've done it, um, recently a couple of times this year. Previously, I, I hadn't really connected the dots on it, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it feels a little bit more focused, a little bit more visual, a little bit more productive, a little bit more introspective. And, and, and maybe it's because, you know, your, your brain is fueled in a, in a, in a clean burning, um, clean burning way. So, um, I like it, but, um, especially, you know, it's, it's happened twice where I've given exogenous ketones either before or during, um, experiences with people and it, uh, physically doesn't agree with them, like cramping up or kind of like, well, something, you know, it's happened, it's happened twice, but, um, no, for me, I, I really dig it. I've done it. What, how many yeah. times? Two or three times this year. Yeah, I want to try the ketone esters maybe next time I do a big mushroom ceremony because I've done I did it with the brain octane and I liked it. Yeah. So uh, as we're wrapping up and getting closer to the end, I wanted to talk about we're on psychedelics. I know you're a big float tank guy. I've done like some micro doses and went in the float tank before. Uh, why don't you tell us like why you like floating and let me know if you've uh, done psychedelics while you're doing floating. Floating. Yeah. Yeah. I the reason why I started a float tank center back in 2012 is because it was an accessible, legal, consistent way to reach altered states of consciousness. I mean, if, if you're listening to this pod, if, yes, you are. Go float. Like, you, there's, and go float sober at least three times. Like, no weed, nothing else. Go do it three times. The best experiences that I've had in float tanks, and, and again, like, over 500 in the last decade. Um, the best floats that I've had are right after exercise, fasted. Um, and the reason is because once you have, you know, you get the vasodilation from exercise, you're, you're exerting, you're outputting, you're, you know, you're fueling your body. And then you go come down after that into, into a float session. Um, there's nothing, there's nothing like it. And, and the way that I think of floating as there's kind of two ways to do it. Uh, one is active and one is passive. So you could just go in there and space out and have a totally wonderful experience, maybe slip into some theta state, meditate, you know, um, even have some visuals, completely natural, where you're just sort of going with the flow. And that's a passive float experience. An active float experience is one where you're doing breath work or one where you're doing prayer or mantra or a sort of a, a specific meditative practice. Um, I always suggest people set an intention before jumping into a float tank because you're there. You might as well, you know, let your subconscious activate around what it is that you're after. You may not get what you signed up for, you know, the, the sort of old adage, in flotation therapy is you don't always get what you want, but you get what you need in a float session. 
you go, you went in to go meditate um, and instead you analyzed the relationship with your mother for, you know, 60 minutes. It sounds like that's was what needed to happen. Um, so yeah, my, my favorite floats and I think everybody should float three times stone cold sober. That said, <laughs> that said, I've had uh, lots of different experiences. My, my longest float was nine and a half hours. I did an overnight float on LSD and I found that LSD is better than mushrooms when you're in a float tank. And the reason is, is that, you know, sometimes there's some body stuff that happens with mushrooms. You may feel like you want to roll over, you, you know, again, if you're laying on a bed, you may, you may want to twist or turn or kind of sit up or like stretch your body, you know, because it's, it's, it's working on not just your non-physical body, but, but your physical body. And so that can be problematic in a float tank. You can kind of get to a point where you're like, I just want to walk. I want to go, you know, I want to go dance. I want to go walk. I want to go, you know, move around a little bit. And so, um, that's why I love LSD in the float tank so much is because it it's visual and you're out, you're out on your back. The way that I prepared for it was, um, I fasted for 24 hours beforehand and then I stayed up really late the night before and then took a nap the day of because I didn't want to go into the float tank and just fall asleep. You know, I was going to be there from 11 until 8 and at 8.30 when we had to reopen. And I didn't want to just go in there and fall asleep, which happens from time to time. I wanted to go in and have a really, you know, really active, really present, non-sleeping experience. And I mean, I could tell you, I could tell you what the experience was and, and what I saw and what I heard and the sort of visuals and, and introspection that occurred. But what else? What else have I, have I heard? So mushrooms, I wouldn't suggest it. Um, MDMA also wouldn't suggest it because you do want to move. You do want to smile. You do oftentimes want to talk to somebody or, you know, um, have, have a social interaction. So LSD is my favorite high dose edible cannabis is also super powerful in a float tank. The, you know, the effect of edible cannabis versus smokable cannabis, cannabis is very different. It's, you know, it's a different pathway. I forget what it's called. Um, five, medro five methoxin, something, something, five methoxy, something the, 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 your, your your experience is very different with an edible and that is enhanced in a float session so you go through the like reverie and thoughts and tripping um but it can go way way deeper and lasts longer so what i would suggest is if, if again after you've done the three totally sober is start with a pretty high dose of an edible because uh, if you smoke before you go in, you can get that sort of dry mouth cough and it's not easy to drink water inside of a float tank. You know, you're kind of, you're committed at that point. So if you get cotton mouth or you get dry mouth or you, or you get thirsty, that's, that's going to be tricky for you. So, um, an edible is great. Um, and I would talk to whoever your, 
you know, floating with to see if you can go a little longer. Maybe you have to pay for a longer session. Oftentimes float centers will let you float longer if there's nobody scheduled after you. I would also suggest that you not do it at night. You know, if you, if you're going for a really cool, trippy, fun experience and, and, you know, assisted by, you know, edible, edible cannabis in a float tank, I would suggest that you do it like mid morning because as you get on with the day and it gets into the evening time, you can get into the float tank and get so relaxed that you're not like present. You're just kind of slipping into sort of sleep, chill mode versus, you know, active and present and thoughtful. Um, but there's, you know, the, 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 the creator of the flow tank, John C. Lilly, who is a psychedelic pioneer unto himself, like one of the, you know, founding fathers of the psychedelic movement, friends with Timothy Leary and Terrence McKenna. And, um, I think I'm sure he crossed paths with like Ram Dass, the guy who created the flow tanks, he would do ketamine in the flow tanks and he got carried away. I mean, flat out, like he was doing a lot of ketamine intramuscular and floating for long, long periods of time. And he kind of got lost down the rabbit hole and, and it was kind of a, kind of a sad end to his life, but he was prefer, he was preferring that state of consciousness to normal waking consciousness Mm. and kind of, kind of lost his marbles to, to be honest. But I I would not suggest you do that. Like uh, that's, that's not, not, not a good idea, but yeah, that, that's, 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 those are my, those are some of my sort of high note thoughts on, uh, on floats. Yeah. The, the ketamine seems tricky because I haven't even done it, but it seems like you're kind of disassociated with your body so much. You do need to pay a little bit of attention when you're floating in water. Sounds right. like that would be a tricky, like you'd have to be pretty experienced to, to rock that out. But yeah, I think I did. It was an edible that I, now that I think back, that was some years ago. It was an edible that I took. It was a smaller dose, but it was cool. I was chill. I'm glad you said to do it like three times sober because it's not just about the experience. It's almost like uh, for me in the beginning, I haven't floated in a while, but when the beginning, when I was first doing it, you don't even really like your body takes a minute to realize like, okay, I'm safe. Like the first float yeah. is like the whole time you're kind of like, why am I not drowning? Like your brain wants to think like I should be drowning. So it takes, I think, one or two, maybe three sessions to kind of just like float peacefully, I, I would say. And then probably you can start trying out micro doses or different things. But yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. It takes it takes a minute to acclimate. And what 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 often happens for people when they float is their so what happens is your your sympathetic nervous system, which is reacting to the outside world. Uh, because there's no, there's less outside world in, in a, in a float tank, uh, that goes down and your, uh, parasympathetic nervous system, rest, digest, blood flow, that gets enhanced. So your, your, uh, your sort of non-conscious bodily systems, you know, your digestion improves, your blood flow improves. Um, and when you get more and more relaxed, just like in meditation, suddenly you'll have an itch on the tip of your nose that like consumes your entire reality. It's like, I have to itch my nose. I have to itch my nose. And then you itch your nose and then you relax again. And then it's like, okay, now I have, now I have an itch happening like on my calf. I've got to itch. And it's, it's your body saying, Hey, what are we doing? It's your body's going, what the fuck is this? 
you got to stay alive. You're too relaxed. Just like in meditation, as soon as right before you slip into that deep state, you suddenly have to like, you know, you get a little bit of a twitch or your body goes, Hey, what are we doing? Wake up, wake up, dude. You know? So you got, that does take some time to work through. And that's why I think three sessions, I, I would, I always suggest doing three sessions in your first week to do exactly what you said, which is to like integrate and understand it. But the, the, the floating is an, an insane tool for personal development, introspection, thought, meditation, recovery, recuperation, sleep, health, and it can be an incredible tool for, for prayer and for a spiritual practice. Like you, you are, you are closer to the core of reality when you are totally cut off from those external stimuli. You know, um, we don't have to go down this rabbit hole, but you know, if anyone is interested in astral projection, I'm going to make my soapbox announcement. If anyone's interested in literally traveling out of body, all of us can do it. All of us can do it. All of us do it every night. We don't even know it, but we travel out of body uh, every single night. So do our dogs and cats. You can read the book Demystifying the Out-of-Body Experience by Luis Minero and just read that book and do exactly what he says. And if you stick with it long enough, you will have an out-of-body experience with recall. You'll remember it. It will be, it will be increasingly vivid as you, as you work up to it. And I got super into the, like maybe too into it for a, for a span of about 18 months and I was floating each, I was floating every night and sleeping in the float tank and how to having out of body experiences where I was like talking with entities and traveling around downtown Seattle and like peeking at people and like uh, connecting with spirit guides. So as like a asterisk, it's like a side note for this, you know, conversation. If, if, if you're interested in that, I'm, you know, you can hit me up, but I, I would go read that book. If that's interesting to you, that's the book that you want to read and you don't need a float tank for it, but uh float tanks definitely help if you want to travel the astral realm. Awesome. That's amazing. I have to look into that book. I've never tried to do the astral projection stuff yet, but maybe I should, if I read that book, I'll get a good guidance on it. It's great. Well, cool, man. It's been a dope show. Uh, why don't you tell everybody where uh, they can find you, work with you, your podcast, all yeah. the things, man. Thank you. So SeanMcCormick.com is the best place to go. It's got all the resources, uh, S-E-A-N-M-C-C-O-R-M-I-C-K. Um, Real Sean McCormick on Instagram. The podcast is Optimal Performance. Um, all my coaching stuff is on the website. You know, I do life coach, performance coach, and psychedelic coaching. And um, I'm super easy to get a hold. <coughs> I'm super easy to get a hold of. So if you have a question or you want to follow up, um, hit me up. I'd love to. I'd love to connect with your audience. I mean, if you, you're listening to Matt and the guests that he has, then we're speaking the same language. We are simpatico. So this has been so much fun, dude. I, uh, I, I like your style, I like what you're doing in the world and the fact that you've committed yourself to this, this line of work that you've committed your life to doing this, this really important work is super meaningful. And oftentimes coaches, guides, 
folks like you and I who are here to help people don't get the support and credit that we deserve. I see you, Matt. I see the work that you're doing. Keep it up. You could probably go get a desk job and make a bunch more money, but uh, <laughs> it's not not as meaningful as the work that you're doing. So keep keep up the good work, and I think uh, I think I should come see you when we when I head to Florida in, in November. I think it'd be really cool to come come down and hang out. Yeah, let me know. Keep me updated. It's about I think like three and a half hours from Miami, but so if you want to make the trip, let, let me know, and I'll uh, pencil in some time for you for sure, man. Sweet. Later on, brother. If you enjoy this show, would you please take a second to subscribe, rate, and review it for me? Also, if you'd like to know more information about Combo, personalized one-on-one coaching with me, or for upcoming retreat information, which I host with my wife, please visit my website in the show notes or DM me on Instagram. My handle over there is at Integrative Matt. Until next time, my friends.